Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. When we wrapped up last week's episode on letting things be easy, Cam and I continued to talk about the client example that he brought to last week's episode. So this was a client who was a business owner and who had his hands in a lot of things at work that he didn't necessarily need to have his hands in, doing things that others could do for him. And so that got us curious about coming back to our topic of resources and specifically our topic of supportive people. Because when we think of delegating, we think of handing things off and sort of assigning them to others. But there's more to it than that. You know, there's a mutual relationship of support there when you hand something off. And there has to be some amount of trust so that when you are handing something off, you feel confident that it will be taken care of in a manner that is appropriate. So today we're going to talk about that, kind of come back to our topic of resources and specifically dive into supportive people as a resource. How do you identify supportive people and how do you tap into what they might have to offer? Cam, you want to say more about that? I sure do. You know, I think that with ADHD, we, we can kind of, once we have a diagnosis, we can go it alone. We can go it alone and sort of think about tools. My problem is with time. The analogy I like is if your car runs out of gas and you have to push it to the gas station, like what do you do? You start pushing and you put your head down. When we do hard work, we tend to kind of put down and not like look up and look around. And dealing with ADHD and like if you start the day behind, it's like, okay, the big grind, right? It's, uh, it's pushing that rock up the hill. And in that moment of like, it's big effort and getting things done, we can miss this opportunity to access resources. And I so appreciate, Shelly, how you started it. It's that this is not really about delegation. It is, but it's more about identifying and utilizing supportive people. And what you said there, another key word was this mutual relationship. There's a give and take there. And I think that that's really key to identifying and utilizing supportive people. So when you have ADHD, it's a fascinating thing, thing happens is it's sort of like, I'm just going to start with a limiting mindset that can occur there. Is that okay? Sure. I think it's like, okay, I have ADHD and I can't do X, Y, Z. Back up to the lunch counter and here are the level one symptoms of what you can't do. And so we sort of put ourselves in this sort of one down position that, okay, I made this problem and I need to dig my way out. And if I'm going to be resourceful, it's about self-reliance, that lone ranger approach. I'm going to come in, do my job and get out. That's not very resourceful. And that if you look around, there are people around you that want to see you succeed. And those are the supportive people that are there. They're available. Let's go back to that client from last week. We talked about how, again, this was let it be easy and how he would manage things by picking them up. And it was really about prompting, to prompt 
and track was to put his hands on it. But he had a second problem was when he put his hands on it, it was like, hey, this is actionable and I can do it. And in that moment with it, with he's got resources of 30 people. Why are we trying to be a jack of all trade when we have specific assets? I think there's the real dilemma with ADD is that we'll come with sort of the full toolbox when in fact we've got two or three tools that are pretty special. And when we delegate effectively and when we utilize supportive people, we really get to utilize, excuse me, those two or three special tools and then hand off to the rest. So with my client, it was you pick up and go and not find a place to stop or realize, wait a second, am I the right person for this? To find that place to hand off. And you're right. You said this was a trust thing. It's a trust piece. It's also a tracking piece. And what is that agreement that happens there? Cam, I want to back up just a little bit and talk about what gets in the way of accessing supportive people. And you touched on some of it, but I want to expand on that just a little bit. So for your client, it sounds like a lot of what got in the way was just not stopping to be aware, sort of living in the doer or living in that reactive mode. So his gut instinct when there is a task is to do. He's a doer. And that's where he got stuck. But that's not the only reason that we fail to access supportive people. There's also this higher sort of limiting belief that those of us with ADHD are inherently broken somehow. That there is something wrong with us. And so whenever we are facing challenge or we could use support or use help, it's instinctual for a lot of us to sort of see that as a sign of weakness. I'm already behind the eight ball or behind most people. I already struggle with what most people think is easy. So who am I to ask for help when I'm already someone who is always behind. This is the kind of stuff that I hear from several of my clients, especially when they're new to coaching and they're still feeling out what is the reality of my experience and how can I learn how to be a person with ADHD without living in this I'm broken or behind perspective or I have to be like a neurotypical to be successful. To expand on that, it's that when we ask for help, it's somehow some kind of failure. If I'm reaching out for help, it means that I've failed in some way. So who wants to do that? Therefore, we don't do that. And that goes back to that idea of we tend to kind of elevate this idea of self-reliance. And what did I do you know, today? What did I accomplish today? Because somehow I'm behind and I need to contribute more. Uh, when in fact, if you're a part of a team, it's really about what did we do today, right? So today we're going to talk about kind of how to break into that way of thinking first of we are worthy of support. <laughs> That's the starting place. And not just that, Cam, not just that we are worthy, but we often thrive 
in relationships where we are with another supportive person. Look at this collaboration. This podcast comes out consistently week after week because there are two of us and because we are equal partners in helping each other when it is tough to show up, when life is hard, when it is a struggle to do the things that need to be done to produce this show week after week. So it's really interesting that we tend to silo ourselves because most of us really thrive with collaborators. And also back to the toolkit in the sense of, you know, we may like to be jumping around and doing different things, but what I've noticed in the work with my clients is that they can develop a skill set in a very specific area and that they really are successful when that skill set is complemented with other skills in other areas. And so, again, back to my client, he sees things that other people don't see. He's a visionary. He is charting a course with his company. And he is basically, he's the guy over the hill saying, hey, follow me over here. The detail part is the challenge part. The follow-up or, again, managing all those details, that tends to be the challenge part. And so what he's done is effectively identify supportive people. He said something really interesting. He said, you know what? I really, when I hire somebody, I'm not focused so much on skills. I can teach skills. What I can't teach is integrity who that person is. I'm really looking for someone who is able to come and and show up, be themselves, and that they value honesty and integrity above everything else. When we have a a conversation that is in integrity and, and honesty and transparency, then we can make things happen, right? We can put everything on the table. We can be comfortable with what we don't know, where the challenge is, And then really identify the assets that we put toward that challenge. And together, we identify outcomes. He really said it's sort of like valuing differences. And that's another thing that sort of you see in corporate America where you don't see that, right? It's sort of this kind of cookie cutter approach to how people are supposed to show up, that diversity is not valued. And what I'm talking about here is cognitive diversity of different ways of working, different ways of viewing the world, bringing different assets. And so I think if we were to start to look at kind of what are the qualities of the supportive person, the qualities of the supportive person is that they don't see the person with ADHD as someone who is broken or, you know, again, just all of their lateness and clutter on their desk the outward signs of ADHD. But they're curious and they sort of like see that individual as they they take the whole package and they really, above all, they, they see the value that they bring beyond those outward character traits that are maybe, you know, not accepted. He speaks about it in the sense of this sort of stronger together, which I think is, 
brilliant. And it's a wonderful principle that he can share with his whole group. We are stronger together. I'm different. And that's okay. And you're different. And let's see how we can match up so we can work together and we can accomplish today. What are we accomplishing? I love that, Cam. And, you know, when we talk about together, we are stronger. We're not saying that as a person with ADHD, you need to lean on neurotypicals. Because I think that's what this can sometimes feel like, is I have to lean on the neurotypicals to make up for my deficits. But here we are, you and I, two adults with ADHD who still have different strengths that we bring to this collaborative relationship. So it's not about your own personal neurology or even about your ADHD experience. It's about what am I good at? What are my strengths? And what is this other party good at? What are their strengths? What are the things that maybe aren't either person's strength that we kind of have to muddle through together? And I'm thinking of my husband and I and kind of how we run our household. So he's really good at routine structure and the day-to-day. So he does the laundry. He does it every day. It's part of his routine. He feels like he's behind if a load of laundry doesn't get done in a day. But when it came to remodeling our bathrooms, which is happening right now, by the way. Can I just say that and be super excited about it? Because I know that that has come up in previous episodes. It's finally happening. There is a guy here in one of my bathrooms right now doing the work. When it came to something like that, that bigger picture, A, so many pieces. You have to pick all the materials. You have to find somebody to do the work. You have to coordinate all of this stuff. My husband is awful at stuff like that. And I'm good at some of it. I'm good at the creative picking stuff out. The coordinating, less good. So what did I do? I went looking for another supportive person because it's not my husband. If he tries to help me do this project, we're going to kill each other. And I know that. (laughs) So I asked him one question at the start of this a year and a half ago. Do you want any say at all on what I pick out? No. Okay. Now I know. And then I went to my mom, who is a wonderful details person, but also really good at logistics, which my husband is not good at. And she was the one that helped me through all of this piece by piece. What I appreciate about that story, Shelley, is that we're not trying to like will our way into doing something that we're not great at or willing someone else. It's like recognizing our limits. And in a way, almost celebrating it in the sense of, okay, so my husband is not the resource here. Who can be? Again, it's that sort of pausing to kind of look around and consider who can be that resource. And you identifying your mom there to help you with that, with the detail. Thanks, mom. That was good. Thanks, mom. (laughs) I think that... um, And I was going back to, okay, other limitations or challenges around delegating or kind of accessing and and utilizing supportive people. Where I'd like to go with this is back to that over-contextualization we talked about last week and let it be easy. And in that kind of that email response where you 
share so much. And there's like, we tend to over contextualize and share too much. And then the actual ask is some somehow buried down in paragraph three, line six. And so to start to get clear as you are identifying the job, to identify the roles, who's good in what position, and what are the specific asks? What is the specific task you want the person to do that, and, and the person that has the best assets or strengths to bring to that role? So it's a bit of strategic planning here, get a sense of that, and then how to communicate that. To communicate that and make that ask, and going back to making the ask without feeling like, oh, this is a cry for help, or I failed in some way. Get back to the, what's the we, and what are the we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish here, and what can we do better as a group, as opposed to all of us in our silos? And so getting clear on that specific ask without, without apology. I think that we can lead with apologies. So sorry. <laughs> but right, let's not start with that. It's like, hey, is there a mutual benefit? State the mutual benefit. And how might we collaborate to get this thing done together? And you're so right. It's so much more enjoyable. I think that it, it kind of lights up that, that uh, high associative in us when we are collaborating, brainstorming, and being able to choose and pick you know, the pieces that work for us. And then, of course, finding, you know, again, there's it's not always going to be the case that we can, you know, not, it's like that we can't do the hard thing. There are certain things that I have here on my desk right now that I haven't found someone to delegate to, and it's likely that I have to do it. But for the things that really matter, I've said this before, the big things that have happened in my life have happened with more than just me making it happen. And it comes back to being patient with identifying those supportive people. And I'm going to guess that listeners, I, I'm going to guess that one, he's like, yeah, there was a supportive person one time. <laughs> <laughs> but that bridge was burned long ago, long ago. Maybe not. Or what were the qualities of that person? Empathy, being able to appreciate you for what you do bring to the party, non-judgmental, patient. What are those qualities? Who might be close to you now that you could tap? What is the ask? What's that specific ask? And again, you notice that our process here around understand what, what is the challenge, own your part, and then that translation piece in the sense of What's the specific articulation to the other party? I think it can start with to articulate to yourself first before you do all that sharing that need not happen, right? That over-contextualization. But they get to get clear on what is that mutual collaboration look like for you and to ap approach it as a partner, equal partner and not this sort of broken one down position that somehow I can't do this without you, or I'm reliant or dependent 
on the other person. Mutual partnership. So we use a term in coaching to describe the coaching relationship, the relationship between client and coach. And that term is co-creating the relationship because my relationship and Cam's relationship with each one of our clients is different because it is about what support they need from us as coach and how they need us to show up. Well, this is a concept you can take into any relationship that you have, whether it's a marriage, a business relationship, a friendship. The idea is being really open, voicing your needs, hearing the other person's needs, making mutual agreements about things so that everyone is on the same page and everyone is contributing to what the relationship looks like. In a coaching relationship, my clients often dictate what that looks like, but not always. There are times as coach where I have my own needs or my own boundaries that are in conflict with what a client is asking for. And that is our opportunity to discuss those things and find a way that works for the client and that also works for me. And Cam, you and I have had to do that several times since starting this podcast, sort of pivoting and adjusting as we figure out what works for both of us. Sometimes having to find compromise points like recording on Wednesday afternoon instead of Monday morning right now because <laughs> I have a bunch of clients on Monday that I used to not have and Mondays got too chaotic for me. Not what you prefer, but a compromise that you were willing to make because my need was greater than what you were giving up. I like that in the sense of this this ongoing designing and redesigning of of the relationship or the co-creating there. And I think that we can often look at sort of delegating or accessing the resources. It's like that wind-up toy, right? You wind it up, let her go, and then it goes. When in fact, it's to consider, okay, what is the agreement? And then to what's the circling back? to keep those lines of communication open. How are we doing? What adjustments do we need to make here as we're going forward? What is a successful outcome? To borrow a term from David Allen, it's not just we set it up and let her roll, but to attend to, right? Back to that destination versus journey thinking. This is journey thinking here, people. It's, a, it's an engagement and it's a re-engagement. Continuing to kind of monitor, track, and follow up with individuals. I think the other thing is, I'll just, uh, as, we, as we finish up today, is to sort of think about, okay, what happens when, on the other side, when, when they're not successful, right? And how do you have that conversation when someone didn't do what they said they were going to do? I think that accountability gets a bad rap. And whenever you hear the term accountability out there, it's typically used in a punitive way they will be answerable. And so really to kind of consider the way we look at accountability, which is let's have a conversation. There's a willingness to come back and share, regardless of what happened. Because beyond circles of ADHD, there's two things that happen in the business world. People don't do what they say they're going to do. And then they don't tell anybody. I mean, it's rampant and it's still rampant. And people take advantage of that. And so 
again, part of that agreement is to agree to come back and share what's going on. What do you need from me? Um, the stand-up, the weekly stand-up or huddle is a great little exercise. It's often referred to as the Rockefeller huddle. So you can Google that and take a look at it. A way to kind of stand and, and really quick, what are we doing? What support do you need? And what is moving forward here? My business partner and I do that on a daily basis in our Slack server. We have a little bot. His name is Howdy. And every day he asks us, what happened yesterday? What's happening today? And what do you need? Mm, And that and what do you need question is our opportunity daily to make an ask big, small or otherwise. Usually the asks are small. My business partner is usually asking me to remember to do things that are due soon that she can't do for me or to take care of little loose ends that she knows that I will not remember if she does not remind me to do so. She's occasionally asking me to check in and provide some accountability for her. On the flip side, I'm usually asking for things that are hard for me, detail-oriented things to do that I can hand off to her. And it's not every day. It's not even every week. I can't remember the last time that I answered that question with an ask. It's been several weeks. But the point is, it's there. And it's sort of this mutual agreement that we are in this together and we are here to support each other. And all you have to do is speak up. And if I can support you in that way, I will. And if I can't, then we will talk about it and figure out another way to get you the support that you need. That sounds like a good place to finish up. What do you think, Shelley? Absolutely, though. I think we will be coming back to this topic again and again because it's something that all of our clients struggle with for a number of different reasons that we didn't even begin to touch on today. So we'll be back here looking at supportive people and digging deeper into how you can really tap into the people around you and the people that matter and not just tap into them, but form these co-created relationships where the support is mutual and you are equal. You're not asking because you're broken or you can't, or you're too overwhelmed. You're providing mutual support. So with that being said, if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can help us out by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. If you have feedback to share, or something you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, you can hit us up on Twitter at TranslatingADHD or the website translatingadhd.com. And until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.